The following program is a paid presentation. The views and or opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of KWAM. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome to today's program. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and thank you for being a part of our Saturday morning program. We so much appreciate it. Well, what has the economic impact of COVID been, COVID-19 been so far? That's a, that's a question that, I mean, there is so much going on about that, and I want to kind of help you get some insight into that. Most people would agree that the U.S. economy is at the beginning of what may be one of the deepest recessions in history. Now, I want you to notice that I didn't say the deepest. I just said one of the deepest. It's not the deepest. What, what's, which sectors, I think, is what a lot of people are thinking, of the economy are likely to recover fastest and which are the ones that are going to recover the slowest. A lot depends on how we move from our day at home to go back to work type of environment. I think it's obvious that moving back to business is not a flip the switch. It's not an instant event. Most people I talk to are avoiding large crowds, and I think we'll continue to do so for a while, and that's just normal. But it's going to take time, and we will eventually return to normal, or at least temporarily a new normal. A lot of people are asking, and I think we're going to address this today on the program, will the recovery be shaped like a V or a U or an L? And there's no question that uh, that's on everybody it's mine, and everybody has an opinion. In fact, if you listen to the media, it's according to who, I mean, you just can flip through channels and get everybody's going to tell you it's either going to be a quick V, which I think most of us would like for that to be. It's a bounce back, but that depends, of course, on the virus. And at this point, no one can predict that. Then you can listen to the person who tells you it's going to be a U, and they'll give you all the reasons for that. And then, of course, you've got the typical pessimist that tells you it's going to be a long L, and we're going to talk a little bit about that too. And I guess my thoughts are, can we be optimistic? Can we really truly be optimistic about the future with all this going on? Well, I've asked Scott Jordan and Drew Johnson to help answer all these questions that I've been kind of proposing to you and thinking about, and they're going to talk about some other things too that I think are extremely important for us today. I know this. The American economy, despite temporary appearances, still fundamentally works. Regardless of what you hear or you read, we have faced other crises in the past, and I can name just tons, that at that time we all call them unprecedented. That's been the buzzword. This great country and this great economy that we will will survive, that we are in and will survive, and we will continue to earn our way toward even more prosperous future. That's not pessimism. That's just logic. This is the great country we love and we call America. My guests, Drew Johnson and Scott Jordan. Drew Scott, welcome to the program, sir. Thanks for having me, Jim. Thanks for having me, Jim. Guys, this is a big deal. The jobless rate, Drew, let's start with you. I mean, it is... Um, it's gotten headlines. Tell me what you think. It's very much gotten headlines. And I mean, let's wind back the clock and just see where were we a good two to three months ago. On February 29th of this year, we had a jobless rate of 3.5%, the lowest level in history. And we had 5.8 million uh, Americans out of work. Very, very low, very, very low number historically. 
as of April 30th, the jobless rate had jumped all the way up to 14.7% with 23.1 million Americans out of work. And you talk about that and out of work, and I know there's a lot of definitions of what's out of work, but you go from this enormous low, I mean, I use the word enormous, I mean, really, it's low in employment at a unbelievable number. I mean, just solid, 50-year history, you know, best we've seen, to within 45 days, it's 14.7%. I mean, that's that's a big number, Drew. Now, help me with that. Is Who's hit the hardest with that? And what do you think is the silver lining? I mean, the hardest hit sector by far has been and leisure and hospitality services. We've seen this all over the place in restaurants and bars and hotels and, and so forth. Anything that's leisure and hospitality related, it's hit the workers and, and the owners as well of those industries uh, the hardest. And that's and that's been a self-imposed thing. That's been the direct result of state and local government shutting those businesses down to help stop the, help stop the, the pandemic or the speed of the pandemic. Um, but there's a silver lining in that. Um, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, of the 23.1 million unemployed persons uh, as of April, the number that reported being on temporary layoff or furlough was 18.1 million or 78%. And so theoretically, 78 that 78% of those jobs should come back as these businesses begin to reopen and as the, as the states start to mandate that and counties start loosening those restrictions. All right, guys, now let me help you with this. I mean, we have seen in $2.1 trillion, we've got, you know, the Paycheck Protection Plan. We've got higher unemployment dollars. We've got, I mean, there's been a ton the government has done in order to keep the flow of money in the household up to a, a degree, and in some cases, and you know, I've been trying to find people that have been to try to tell me, are you actually making more money unemployed? And nobody's saying that. There's been a few, but it doesn't seem like it's as many as I hear. But the reality is, there's a lot of money been put back in the economy. So, Scott, let me ask you this: Do you? I mean, why is it that we have such an high unemployment rate? If I was told you can get this protection, you can get this you know, influx of capital, but you got to keep everybody employed. Why do we have such high unemployment? Well, not all not all businesses qualified for the Paycheck Protection Program, first of all. And, you know, knowing, knowing what was going on and the seriousness of it, I think the government stepped in with the higher unemployment rate to try to cushion the blow. So I think, you know, and I'm speaking, I'm, I'm saying this, I think businesses felt okay, a little more okay about letting some people go home for a while than they normally would have, knowing that they have that in place, that higher unemployment in place. So I think that that sped that up a little bit probably. But, uh, you know, this is a serious downturn, and businesses have to do what they have to do to cut expenses to survive through this. So, Well, it tells me that, that bottom line, we have an enormous problem. The economy is going to go through some severe, uh, I guess you might as well say it, it may be a pandemic in the economy. Drew, do you right. see this as being a, uh, you know, a U, a V, you know, I mean, or an L? Uh, it, it's it's hard to say. I mean, I think I think what all of us don't want it to be is a W. Uh, <laughs> That's a good point. But, uh, but I mean, it, it, it seems like the, the more time that passes, the, the, the U or the L seems seems more likely than, than the V. What we don't want is for the, the states to be opening up 
and then for there to be a second wave of, of new increases in infections and deaths that then ca- uh, cause the need for a second round of shutdowns. You know, that's a great point because I think that's everybody that we just don't know. And so reality is there's a amount of a, a lot of what we hear on the news. I think I want everybody to understand this. If these three guys, me, me included, if we wanted to get your attention, we could predict something great, maybe, you know, that's going to, or we could say, oh, it's going to be horrible. And you use the word W. Maybe we could go into whatever else, you know, these just going to go completely collapse. And I think we get, we get people to listen, but that doesn't make us really truly predicting. I mean, we can throw right. out anything we want to. Maybe that is a prediction, just don't have to be accurate. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's there's a ton of uncertainty going forward. I don't think anybody knows for sure how we come out of this. Now, we can look back. We know we're in a resilient economy. We get through these things. But whether that's a U, a V, or I, I like Drew's W, that's probably one we don't want to see. Um, we, we'll come out of this the length of time it's going to take. I don't think anybody truly knows that. I mean, the economy has been brought to a screeching halt. That is a unique situation, and how long it takes us to come out of that is is really uncertain. Right. I mean, the government's been, with its right hand, has been constraining activity, and then with its left hand, trying to stimulate it. The pandemic is not a the pandemic is not unprecedented, but the government's response has been. And I I agree. I don't. I don't. I don't know that we can really have any clear idea of exactly what to expect as far as how how the how we're going to come out of it exactly. And I'll say this, too. I mean, this has been highly politicized, as you know, but th- these are tough decisions. These are really, really tough decisions. I mean, on the one hand, we have an economy that, that supports all of us, all of us. Getting, you know, That's how we make our money. It's how we live. And then we have lives on the other side of that. How do we, how do we balance those two objectives of opening the economy and saving lives? Tough decisions, really hard. Well, that's my concern is when you say politicized, I mean, it's according to who you talk to. And you can almost within 15 minutes of a conversation, no, excuse me, five minutes of a conversation <laughs> with someone, you can almost tell which media outlet they listen sure. to. Yeah. Right. They become almost like quoting right. what you they are hearing right. instead of being logical. Let me let me say this to you, because Drew, I want to ask you about some of the silver linings. But there are some things that are very out there showing us some silver linings. You mentioned that earlier, but the reality is some of the optimism, because I don't want to be one that's throwing just over and over and over negatives out. That just didn't, that just not me. Right. But I right. want to know what truly is optimistic. And home sales, housing pricing, and it's a leading indicator. Those are leading indicators, and the housing sectors continue to be a bright spot. Uh, I mean, it's it over is. and over. It is. I mean, the home prices, the home price index has continued to rise each month. Uh, over the previous month, all the way back uh, since March of 2012, and it, it still is. Uh, hopefully, that'll continue. Uh, housing starts and building permits. That's th- those are both indicators of future activity, uh, future building activity with jobs. That was positive through March, uh, as were and existing expected ho- to be in April, right? As were existing home sales, and so that continues to be a bright spot in the economy. Well, I know a lot of homeowners have been concerned about paying their mortgage plan. And, of course, right. you've got the, the government came out, Fannie Mae, and said there's a forbearance plan that allows them to reduce or suspend their monthly mortgage payment for up to 12 months. And homeowners are allowed to establish a repayment plan that can catch up. They can catch up gradually or they can modify the entire loan, but it's not required to come back and have to make a payment. That's a, that's a way, again, the government is saying we understand the pain. Right. And so right. here's a way for you to continue to pay, which we didn't see us do 
back in 08 and 09. Right, right. We learned our lesson. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So we've extended something. Now, homeowners need to contact their mortgage uh, you know, yeah, servicer before they jump about. out there and do this. It's, you know, before they, but it's it's a way of doing something. Yeah. So if you happen to be a listener and you're, constri- you're saying, hey, I'm out, I don't have a job, I need to make sure I can make my payment, there is that forbearance plan that Fannie Mae has for you that you can go ahead and look at. Yeah, you, I, you know, and I think a lot of credit, all creditors, whether it's an auto loan, credit cards, they all are showing some willingness to work through some of that. Now, you have to contact each one individually to find out what they're willing to do, but there's programs out there. Well, I, th- I think that's good, and I think I appreciate you guys. Again, if you just tuned in, my guest is Drew Johnson and Scott Jordan. We're talking about, is there optimism in this COVID-19 crisis for the economy? Everybody is saying, obviously, it's a crisis. No question about that. Deep reset, deepest recession in years. Not the deepest, but deepest recession. Scott, Drew, both of you. Drew, let me start with you because I really want you. Is there some optimism about this? Can you help me through that? I sure can. I mean, I, I, I'm going to start by saying that, you know, the, re, uh, repeating the old proverb that necessity is the mother of invention. Like and that. necessity is exactly the situation that we're in right now. We need to find a solution. Uh, the the lack of effective treatments, whether it's a, 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 a proper antiviral or a vaccine, that's exactly what made the lockdowns and the social distancing necessary in the first place. Have we learned our lesson, you think? I mean, we this is, you know, this is not our first COVID-19, a COVID problem, right? coronavirus type problem. Have we learned our lesson? I think so. I think so. I, I think people are, are, are taking these kinds of issues a lot more seriously than we have in the past. Uh, and, you know, the, sh- the temporary shuttering of businesses has been an enormous blow uh, to the owners, to the employees, to the customers, uh, creditors, and so forth of these businesses. Um, but the pain of the contraction has definitely been a spur to Herculean efforts. I mean, people, I like people, that word. people, Herculean. Work, <laughs> I mean, Herculean people, <laughs> people using all the energy and all the mental ability they have in the healthcare industry to find effective ways of dealing with the virus. Um, but it's also been an effort on the part of businesses to rethink and re-engineer the way that they conduct their operations and the way that they communicate with their customers and the way that they supply uh, all their products and services and, and, and get them out to where they need to go. And just like companies that successfully managed their way through the 07-09 financial crisis uh, consistently maintain significantly stronger balance sheets and just better overall business practices after the crisis, companies that successfully manage their way through this current downturn are going to be more flexible and more willing to rethink old strategies. I, I think you're on to something there. I think the reality, not only thinking old strategies, and I think that's critical, uh, if you just were listening in and you heard uh, Hercules walk through the building, <laughs> I mean, we're, we're in a construction project here in the studios, and uh, that's what's happening in the room very much just next to us. So if Hercules walks through again, we'll be sure to pick up on that, and uh, maybe we'll shake his hand sometime there. Right. But you were talking about the strategies, Drew, and I know. Tell me about what you think history teaches us. Well, I mean, it's it's innovation is what drives growth. It's what drives profits. You have to be willing to innovate. You have to be flexible in uh, in the, your ability to adapt to changing circumstances rapidly, and you have to be open to new ideas. Those are all of those are the three key ingredients uh, for achieving growth and for expanding prosperity. Uh, and here's the thing: that's true 
whether the economy is expanding or contracting, whether the times are good or bad, those are the behaviors that that reward businesses and reward entrepreneurs. And so what virtues are the current crisis rewarding? They're rewarding businesses who are doing these very things. Let's repeat those because I think everybody needs to listen to this. This is the great companies of America. And listen, folks, this is this is what you have to understand. Great companies didn't come become great companies overnight. They practiced these three things. Say them again. The innovation, the ability to adapt to changing circumstances, and openness to new ideas. Those are the three things. And that's what this pandemic is rewarding, is rewarding companies who are doing that. Um, and so what that tells me is, is that the American economy is still fundamentally working. Um, it's taking some heavy blows, but it is still rewarding the kind of good long-term business behavior that promotes prosperity and growth long-term as well. Well, I appreciate you guys saying that because I think what people need to understand is when you talk about this innovation, flexibility, the openness, the ability to adapt, that to me tells us whether you're a big company, giant, you know, Fortune 500, whatever, or you're a mom and shop, mom and pop shop down the street in the square of a small town, you practice those three things. Absolutely. And it doesn't go away. I tell you, Jim, one of the most inspirational things I saw were some of the restaurants and how they adapted Absolutely. their model to, well, we're going to do pre-prepared meals or we're going to deliver food or we're going to, we're going to change to a to-go order business. And they were able to just, you know, they were able to, you said necessity is the mother of invention. And I, I don't know, I, I was talking to somebody who had one particular business and they, they bring everything out to your car now and the customers were all saying, well, man, we're going to get used to this. And, you know, you may see some changes in the way people do things that well, come know, out Well, you know, it's amazing because I, I have to tell you the story because Lynn and I have a, a particular restaurant, I won't mention the name, of one that we thoroughly, we, she likes it because she likes what they serve at this particular this item, you know, this mm-hmm. entree. And so we've, I guess we've eaten there Six, seven, eight times, nine, ten times. No different than what we normally would do. Right. But it's been, and, of course, we know the lady that brings our food out. Right. And, and yeah, she gets a bigger tip than sure. normal. I Absolutely. Mean, you know, because we appreciate what she does. She She's going to school. She's in nursing school. She's great. But, I mean, you're right. They have been innovative. Right. Flexible. And they've been open and transparent to what's going on. I like that, Drew. Perfect. Well, and that's a great thing to do, too. If you can find a way to patronize those businesses that you that you like and that you enjoyed going to, you just increase the chances they'll be there when things reopen. That's right. Of course, we know there will be some that will not. We sure. understand yeah. that. There's right. always that case. But the reality is, as you said, we do have a great economy. This economy will continue to move on. It will. Well, I want to talk about this because, guys, one of the questions that I think everybody has in their mind is to think about when you say the economy will survive, it may be a W, it may be a U, <laughs> it may be an L, it may be a V. Nobody knows. Any other letter of the alphabet. Or I mean. any other letter <laughs> of the alphabet. But we do have the options of building a good portfolio. So, Scott, Absolutely. let me lean into you in this few minutes that we have remaining before we take a break. I think. I mean, face it, this is a, an economic storm. Now, let me put this in perspective because I, I really feel like that everybody needs to kind of think through this and in, in the mindset of, of literally thinking about what the economy is doing, but really what the S&P 500 has done. Now, let me, right. let me throw this out to you. 
As of, you know, year to date, as of last Friday, and that's just the numbers I got, 8.7% year to date total return to the close. The S&P is down 8.7% total return to the close of trading last Friday. Is that right, Drew? That's right. Okay. The index was down 30.4% year to date total, total return as of March the 23rd, just seven weeks ago. Right. Now, that's an enormous rebound, but that can, I mean, that is that, uh, you know, usually we hear this a lot, that the market will lead us out of a recession. Well, that tells me that that's kind of quick. Yes. Now, I need to kind of get some insight for our listeners with all that. That's a lot of noise. That is. I mean, you know, face it, you get this on March, you get this downturn of a huge number. 30%. Everybody gets scared, worried what's going on. And then you have it come back so fast. And now everybody's scared. What's going on? I mean, you don't know. I mean, it's like, okay. So I think Drew and both of you guys, Scott, I want you to help me understand. How would you tell our listeners in this environment, what kind of portfolio do you have? Well, you said it, Royal Jim. Life storms happen, whether it's a market downturn or another crisis. Uh, we can't prevent those from happening, but we can be ready for those. And I think you do that by having a good foundation and and being comfortable with the decision-making process so that you're better prepared for these type of times. And I'll get into a little more detail about that. You know, market declines are inevitable. If we're going to be investors, we're going to go through downturns. So being prepared for that, being emotionally prepared for that, and I don't know that you're ever thoroughly emotionally prepared for that. It always feels terrible when you're going through it, Jim. But having that long-term strategy in place and we'll talk about a little more about how you get to that long-term strategy. But having that in place can keep your emotions in check and allow you to stay focused on your goals, focused on why what you're trying to accomplish during these tough times. All right, give me some of that. Let's let's do that. Let's talk about the goals well, and the strategies. Help yeah, you know, we were working with a couple yesterday, and they want to go jump straight into the investments. How are we going to invest? How are we going to invest? And we, we have to back up and talk about, okay, well, well, what's important to you? What do you value? What are you trying to accomplish here? What are your goals and dreams? What are we investing this money for? Uh, and once we can get down to some of that, we can get a little more organized, you know, kind of examine where they are now, what's their current financial reality compared to where they want to be in the future. And then we can create an investment strategy around that. And we're basically trying to develop a portfolio that has a high probability of getting them the type of returns they need to achieve their goals. And that that foundation, that why, I call it, why are we doing this, is critical to help you withstand some of these turbulent times. All right, so principle number one is know why. I like to yes. term why yes. you're investing because, uh, as you said, this couple yesterday, they were into tell me what we're going to invest in, all this. Right. And I understand that. That's sure, where yeah. That's where they're coming yeah. from. But you're saying, first of all, understand the why. So if you're listening and you're thinking, what do I do with my portfolio during this economic crisis, this this market crisis, well, know your why. Know why you're doing it. What are you, What's going on in your life? Why are you building this portfolio? And that's important. But now, Drew, let me ask you this. The risk, when I'm identifying the strategy, as Scott's telling me, 
I've also got to identify the risk I'm willing to take. I call that the shave factor. Can yeah. I look in the mirror and not cut myself because I'm so nervous about the market? <laughs> I heard know? that one. I like I, that. Jim. I don't do that. I don't do that. I'm not like Greg. You know, I should grow a beard. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And get me out so I didn't have to shave. Of course, you know, I got hair on my head, too. Maybe that's a different thing. I, I, I'd like ball. to see you with a beard like that, Jim. I'd like to I see would, that. too. <laughs> yeah. You got one, Drew. Right. Uh, but, Drew, tell me this now. Seriously. I want to know what are some of the risk factors or risks that you need to consider when you're asking the the why. Well, I mean, there there are a number of things. I mean, the thing you have to the first thing you have to really keep in mind is that you're not investing in this entity called the market. You're you are owning parts of companies, whether you've got an equity stake or whether you're you're owning some of their debt. You are participating in the profits and losses of the great companies of America, and with that come things like market risk, uh, the, the likelihood that, that the price is going to change, uh, that stocks are going to go up or, or down. You have interest rate risk, and interest rates, interest rate movements affect the prices of your, of your debt holdings, of your bonds. Um, you have the risk that you're not going to get the growth that you thought you were going to get of your portfolio and that you won't hit your, your goals. You have the risk that there's going to be inflation and that's going to dilute uh, your earnings over time. You have credit risk. You have liquidity risk, um, that there's not going to be a, a market for the things that you want to sell in your portfolio. Um, you've got the currency risk, the dollar versus other currencies, and international trade being dislocated. And then you have political risk, um, that a particular set of businesses that you liked investing in suddenly become more regulated by the government. Um, all of those things factor into uh, what can happen with investments over the long term. Yeah, and I think I would I would summarize that. I always talk about risk is that the outcomes will be different than what we expected. There's a lot of different variables that can cause that. Wait a minute. And Drew just just named off several, but it's basically the outcomes are going to be di- different than what we think we're going to get. So when you put together the portfolio strategically, yeah. I mean, you're asking the why, you said the goal, the strategy, the thought, the, and then Drew goes through this litany of risk that you're right, taking. Right, right. You've got to say, okay, I've got to understand that that's going to be flexibility. There's, right, going, to be, there's right. going to be market volatility. There's going to be. That's going to be part of it. look at it long term. And now that's where we get specific with the client and try to gauge what is their tolerance for that volatility? What is their tolerance for that risk? Because, you know, we're talking about long-term strategies here. Uh, some of the thing, one of the the most important things to consider: how are they going to behave during these volatile times? Because if our investments can't remain investments for the long term, because we want to panic and get out of the market, well, that's going to have a potential negative effect on our long term goals. So we want to make sure that we understand what is their temperament or what is their tolerance for that risk. Okay, you said strategy. You you. I want to talk about. When you said the why and then the risk, there's something about that strategy, you know, their tolerance for risk. When we come back, I want you to help me understand that and really give me the insight of what it, how important it is to do what you were talking about just then. You just tuned in. My guest today, Drew Johnson, Scott Jordan, we're talking about, we've been talking about the economy and all the things that go on with the economy. And, you know, we can't predict it. The COVID-19 is just unpredictable. But the reality is when we build a portfolio, there's some things that maybe we suck up, talk about volatility, but we can do some predictions. Scott's going to help us with that when we come back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search 
Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more talk money after this. Jim Shoemaker, Drew Johnson, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Security and Financial Services are affiliated with Nancy Crawford Butcher or the Better Business Bureau. Views and opinions expressed are those of Nancy only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Security and Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, Nancy Crawford will be joining us in just a few minutes, and she's going to be talking about protecting your credit record during COVID-19 pandemic. Now, the problem we have is the government's taking some steps to help consumers, us, with their finances during this COVID-19 pandemic, and it's including protecting our credit records. And there's some scammers and some criminals out there doing everything they can that to, to damage that credit record. And by the way, this is important, and there's some things that we need to work on. So she's going to join us in just a few minutes, and we'll talk more about protecting your credit record during COVID-19. So stay with us. We're going to, that's going to be a great you know, uh, discussion with uh, Nancy. She always does a great job. Before we get to her, let me go back. I'm talking to Drew Johnson and Scott Jordan. We're talking about how to build a portfolio during a pandemic. Now, I think I'm hearing, guys, that a pandemic doesn't really change much. You're relying, and I know we don't have the time to get into an analysis of what goes on when you're studying a manager. and Because you right. guys are both on the investment committee. The reality is you're looking at a quantitative and a qualitative analysis of a manager's approach. So all that's a part. But you're, you don't wouldn't expect somebody out buying, building a portfolio to, you know, to do that by themselves. They're going to get help to do that. Right, Drew? Right. I mean, we, we are going to try to figure out how we can get some of these risks that I named earlier to offset one another. And that's all part of the strategy. Okay. And so when you get into that, you're talking about doing that manager selection and building the portfolio around offsetting those risks. That's right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Now, Scott, I really want you to help me with this because you were leading to this, and I think it's probably one of the most important things for anybody. And and Drew almost mentioned it when he talks about yeah. offsetting yeah. risk. What are we talking about? Well, you know, we've talked about the why. We talked about hey, we got to know what type of risk tolerance we have. And now we just we develop a portfolio based on some basic principles that we've used for years, and we think these work long term. And those the big three are asset allocation, diversification, and rebalance. Now, what I mean by that. Asset allocation says, how much am I going to have in stocks? How much am I going to have in bonds? How much am I going to have in cash? And, and Drew alluded to this. We're trying to optimize the return for a given level of risk. Now, that's a, that's a kind of a fancy way of saying a lot of things. But basically, we're, we're, putting, we're putting pieces of the portfolio together to try to you know, have a high probability of hitting that rate of return while trying to manage that risk at the same time. So that's asset allocation. We also do that by diversifying. You mentioned managers. So once we say how much we're going to have in stocks, bonds, and cash, well, which managers are we going to use in those categories? And we believe in spreading that money out as well. No single investment works all the time. We think diversification is just one of those important principles. Um, 
Hey, when you when you think through diversification, and, and guys, I need everybody to understand that doesn't guarantee against losses. No, no, it just simply it's says a, you're going to put this together. It may protect you some, but there's no guarantee. The market's volatile. The, it, the market's, market's volatile, and, and and I think that's an important. It doesn't protect you against losses. You know, it does it does manage the risk, but it also doesn't guarantee the highest rate of return either. Uh-huh. Diversification will usually you know, lower the returns a little bit over time because you are spreading that risk out and not being so concentrated. All right. So asset allocation, diversification, you said there were three. Rebalance. That is critical. Is that? That's that's a discipline. That is very important. So we've we've gauged our risk tolerance. We want to make sure that we maintain the portfolio kind of in line with our risk tolerance. And we do that by just rebalancing back on it. Uh, there's there's different time periods to do this, but at least annually, I think you should rebalance the portfolio back to your original allocation. So that also kind of forces the discipline of um, buying low and selling high. You know, you're selling the things that have done well and buying the things that haven't done as well. So it forces that discipline on on the portfolio and over time can really keep you in line with that risk I tolerance. like what you're saying. Rebalancing almost also makes you mentally go back to the wine. Sure, yeah, and absolutely. And that's the, the part. So I think in summary, what you guys have helped me understand is people need to be aware that when you balance building a portfolio, know why you're doing it, and then stick to the why, or when you rebalance, reevaluate your why. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks, guys. We'll come back to you in a few minutes. So keep your thoughts. Got a lot of other questions I'd like to ask you. But right now, I want to introduce you to a frequent guest of ours who always does a wonderful job. She's with the Better Business Bureau here of the Mid-South and does, uh, you know, educates us, keeps us aware of what's happening. And today, she's talking with us about protecting credit records during COVID-19. Now, you wouldn't think that's important, but the government is taking some steps to help consumers with their finances and their credit records during this this particular problem. So welcome to the program for me, Nancy Crawford. Good morning. Good morning, lady. Good to have you on this morning. It's a wonderful Saturday morning, and I thank you for joining us. But what is the government doing to help protect these credit records right now? Well, payments on mortgage and student loans that are deferred under the CARES Act will not be reported as delinquent to credit reporting agencies. And that's a big deal. Uh, The same applies to voluntary relief provided by lenders on loans that are not held and guaranteed by the government. That's things like your credit cards, your auto loan, and other kinds of loans. So under the CARES Act, you're getting some help. You're getting some forbearance, some delayed payments on your mortgage and federally held student loans. And then you yourself can talk to your lenders on other types of loans and ask for the same forbearance. And if your lender grants you that forbearance, they cannot report you as being late. Nancy, that. How now? Let me ask you this: Is that going? What What is that going to do to the banking industry? I heard someone just tell me yesterday because we're doing all of this, this is going to put the banking industry in trouble. Well, you know, Jim, it's one of those things where it's like a, a pickup stick pile. When you move one thing, several other things may fall, um, and and there are ramifications across the board 
when this type of relief is provided. But I think that with the CARES Act, people are are struggling. They can't pay their mortgage and they can't pay their student loans. And so the payments and interest on those federally held loans will be automatically suspended. So you won't continue to gain interest and consumers with federally backed mortgages should contact their servicer to request that forbearance. Consumers with private student and mortgage loans should contact their servicers to see what relief might be available. And consumers with credit card, auto, and other loans should talk to their lenders and be prepared. When you call your lender, you're going to need this information. Your employment and financial status, including your income, other expenses and assets, what you can afford to pay, and when you think you'll be able to resume your regular payments. And I know sometimes people say, well, I don't know. I don't know when I'm going to be able to resume my regular payments because I'm not working right now. The best thing you can do for yourself is talk to your lenders, talk to your creditors, um, you know, sometimes when things get tight and people are worried about paying their bills, they don't want to talk to their lenders. They don't want to say, hey, I can't make this this month uh, or I can pay this much, but not the regular amount. But talking to your lenders and letting them know what's going on with you right now is the number one best action you can take. Wow, I, I think that is so valuable to know, and I and I appreciate where you put me, gave me the word picture of the pickup sticks. Uh, that makes yeah. sense. Now, most of our listeners probably don't know what pickup sticks <laughs> are, but I remember playing pickup sticks with my grandmother. So you're I right. Just, it, I just it, dated myself. Yes, we did, but I like it because I that was a great word picture. You're right. You move one, and you're probably going to affect something else. But the reality, what we're talking about is protecting a consumer's credit record during COVID-19. And whether and I appreciate what you've said. It's about car loans. It's about home loans, student loans. What else is going to or people being, can they do to protect their credit cards during this time? Well, people should be pulling their free annual credit reports every year anyway. But if you're not one of those people who does that on a regular basis, Time's a wasting. You need to get started. And you get one copy of your credit report from each of the three major credit reporting agencies for free at annualcreditreport.com. That's annualcreditreport.com. So in addition to those three that you can pull there, you can get even more from Equifax because of the settlement over their data breach. So Equifax has to give you six copies a year just themselves, and that goes through 2026. So annualcreditreport.com is where you start for all that. And sometimes, Jim, people will say, well, I went there and they asked for my Social Security number. Yes, to pull your credit report, you are going to have to give your social security number and some other personal information so that they know that they're giving the report to the right person. 
So the so, reality is, though, they're, you're making the call to them. Exactly. You are the one doing the reaching out so you know you're talking to the right people. Um, everything runs through that one website, annualcreditreport.com. You want to look at your credit report. You want to see what's being reported, um, see it, what accounts are in good standing, if you have any accounts that are being reported as delinquent. And then you want to check for inaccuracies. You know, these credit reports are managed by people, and people are are not infallible. And so sometimes people make mistakes, especially if you have a common name or if you're a junior or a third with the same name in your family. It's easy for credit records to sometimes get mixed up. So if you see accounts on your credit report that don't belong to you, you go back to that credit reporting agency and say, hey, I'm disputing this account. This isn't mine. And then they have 30 days in which to investigate that and either say, okay, yeah, we get it. It's not yours. We'll take it off. Or no, we think it is yours. And here's the reason why. Here's the verification of it. But Nancy, let me ask oh. you this. I mean, that okay. that that I've actually know some people that had it was a junior and dad, and uh, junior was killing dad's credit. I mean, uh, uh, and that was beginning to happen. But let's talk about the person who is delinquent on a loan, and for whatever reason, and they don't qualify for relief. What wisdom? What kind of counsel would you give them? Again, talking to that lender is going to be your best avenue for you to work out some kind of mutually satisfactory payment arrangement with a legitimate collector. Um, The bank doesn't want your house. The, you know, the car loan that you have out, those people don't want to come repossess your car. They'd much rather you continue to make payments on that, even if you can't make the full payment at this time. So you want to be aware of debt collection scams. Um, Red flags include being threatened with criminal charges and arrest and refusal to provide you with a validation notice that tells you the debt, the creditor, how much you owe, and what your rights are under the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. So if you get calls from creditors. Let's say you're you're out of work and you're you haven't been paying those bills and now they've been turned over to collection and um, you're wondering what to do about those. If your debt was in collection when all this crisis started, it's going to continue to be reported as behind until you get caught up. But if you were in good standing before all this COVID-19 pandemic happened and your your creditor makes an agreement with you, they say, we'll take $100 this month instead of $300 and we'll do that for the next couple of months. If they make some kind of concession for you, then they can't report you as being late if you started out in good good standing. Okay. That, that, makes sense? That, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I appreciate you. Let me, I guess, you know, when you think about it now, here I have, if someone's been in collections, 
And, and it's, you know, all of a sudden you get that scam. Are there any other scams that you want our listeners to be sensitive to that's kind of COVID-19 related? I mean, I always fear scams. I've had clients, I've had friends that have gotten caught in these things that, that were, are intelligent, sharp, computer literate. I mean, they're all very sharp, and yet they get caught in something and do something before they realize they did it. Anything that you can throw right. out for us and give us a reminder not to do that? Well, you know, the thing that we've seen an uptick on recently in the past oh, six weeks or so are scams w- related to what we call sextortion. These are um, scam emails that you receive that say, hey, we know you've been on your laptop and you went to some naughty sites, some pornographic sites. And guess what? We hacked into your laptop and we captured video of you looking at these sites and screenshots of what you were looking at. And if you don't pay us in Bitcoin, um, the typical amount they're asking for in the Memphis area is $2,000. If you don't pay us in Bitcoin within 24 hours, we're going to send these videos out all your contact list. So, I mean, if I think about my contact list on my work email, I've got thousands of people in my contact list. So for someone to threaten and say, we're going to expose this, even if it's not you, even if you've never been to a pornographic site before, when they send these extortion emails, They sometimes include an actual password of yours. Now, how do they get that information? Mostly through data breaches. You know, a lot of information gets breached on a daily basis. And sometimes what the crooks do is sit on that information for a while until everything calms down. And then they use it at a later date. So the subject line of this email might be hey, we know that. XYZ23 is your password. And you look at that and think, oh my gosh, how do they know my password? Well, they may have your password. They may not know what account that password goes to. It's a trick. They're trying to pull the wool over your eyes and get a knee-jerk reaction that says, if they have video of some kind, even if it's not me, what if it kind of looks like me? What if somebody believes it? And so some people are paying those ransoms just to have peace of mind. Well, but, you know, they say there's honor among crooks, honor among thieves, but I don't <laughs> think there is. I don't so, think there you know, is the F- either. The FBI says don't pay it, delete it, run a virus scan on your computer. And then go change that password that they sent to you. If that really is one of your passwords, change it. Make it something different. And then initiate that two-factor authentication for your account where a simple password will no longer get you in. It's going to be a password and a code that they send to your phone or a password and your fingerprint so that you are having to input two pieces of information in order to prove that it really is you logging into that account. 
Wow. You know, I never would have thought that would have been, but I can see that. I can see how somebody would respond to that. Nancy, it is always a pleasure to have you with us on Saturdays. We thank you so much for this. Uh, We'll have you back. You know that. Just always keep us in the loop. All right, Jim. Thanks so much. Have a great day. You too. Nancy Crawford with the Better Business Bureau, always giving us great information about what's going on as far as scams and how things are affecting you financially. And that is critical for you to know. Here's a bit of information. I'm going to invite the two guys back in, Scott and Drew, in just a second. But 52%, as of May the 4th, 52% of the 3,142 counties in the United States. Now, that's that's counties in the United States. That's 1,630 counties had not recorded a single COVID-19 death. Now, that's 52%. Of the 3,142 counties, as of May the 4th, not a not recorded a single COVID-19 death. Now, as of as of listen, 5420, again, the same date, 80% of the 3,142, that's 2520, 2520 counties had recorded five or less COVID-19 deaths. So that's from the COVID tracking project. Now, guys, welcome back. Scott, Drew, let me tell you why I said that, why I thought that. You know, we talk about the economy. The reality is this is telling us that this has not been that big of an impact nationwide. It has definitely been in some hot spots. But the economy has been affected by this nationwide. I know in rural Tennessee, you can go not far from here and they'll talk about COVID-19, but it has not been on their top priority. Now, they're not driving the economy. I'm not trying to. But don't you think that's going to have an impact on how we go back to work? I think it is, Jim. I think that, you know, again, uh, having a, having some sort of a treatment or a vaccine for this is going to really be critical for us long term getting past this because, that fear, you know, whether the reality is there or not, that fear still causes us to make decisions that are that are really slowing our economy down. So. And that's an emotion, and that has an effect on us how we think about with our strategy. Absolutely. Always does, Absolutely. doesn't it? Absolutely, yep. I think for our listeners, that's important for us to keep in mind, that the fear, that emotion, we get caught up in it. Drew, what would you say? I mean, that's critical to make a decision. You can't make decisions on the investment committee based on fear. Right. But I mean, but as time goes on, we're going to have more and more information about it. We're going to have more and more information on how best to prevent it, how best to treat it uh, with all the people that are spending all the time working on it that that are. Uh, I'm optimistic that we're going to find some kind of workable solution. And so you know, knowledge is power, but knowledge is also reassurance. But I still appreciate what you said. And I think it's critical when you told us earlier that companies have to be flexible they have to have that mindset of, you know, thinking about themselves being, you know, you called it nimbleness when I when we talked earlier. <laughs> right. And I, I like that term, but flexible. They have to be innovative. They have to be open. The great companies of America are still going to be great companies of America. Absolutely. You know, I so much appreciate you guys. Thank you for being with us. Thanks again, Drew. Thanks again, Scott. Pleasure to be here, Jim. Thank, thank you, Jim.
You've been listening, of course, to the mighty 990, KWAM-FM 107.9 and AM 990. My guests, Scott Jordan and Drew Johnson, and, of course, from the Better Business Bureau, Nancy Crawford. If you have additional questions for Drew or Scott and would like to talk to them personally, you can call them at 757-5757. To talk to Nancy, you can reach her at the Better Business Bureau. Please give her a call. We hope you've enjoyed today's program. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part. To find today's program on podcast or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. And be sure to like us on Facebook next week. My frequent and popular guest, Mr. Kurt Zornowski of Zornowski Consulting. Kurt will give us an insight into what's going on with Social Security and how you can benefit. Scott Jordan will also be here to answer questions about how to select an advisor. Seven ideas that you should know. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Thanks for listening. This is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance Officer Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Drew Johnson, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Oh my.